All right, 1 Samuel chapter 16. If you're able, please stand for the reading of God's holy word. I'll begin reading once again at verse 14 and read down to the end of the chapter. Now the spirit of Yahweh departed from Saul, and a harmful spirit from Yahweh tormented him. And Saul's servants said to him, Behold now, a harmful spirit from God is tormenting you. Let our Lord now command your servants who are before you to seek out a man who is skillful in playing the lyre. And when the harmful spirit from God is upon you, he will play it, and you will be well. So Saul said to his servants, Provide for me a man who can play well, and bring him to me. One of the young men answered, Behold, I have seen a son of Jesse the Bethlehemite who is skillful in playing, a man of valor, a man of war, prudent in speech, and a man of good presence, and Yahweh is with him. Therefore Saul sent messengers to Jesse and said, Send me David your son, who is with the sheep. And Jesse took a donkey laden with bread and a skin of wine and a young goat and sent them by David his son to Saul. And David came to Saul and entered his service. And Saul loved him greatly, and he became his armor-bearer. And Saul sent to Jesse, saying, Let David remain in my service, for he has found favor in my sight. And whenever the harmful spirit from God was upon Saul, David took the lyre and played it with his hand. So Saul was refreshed and was well, and the harmful spirit departed from him. And God adds his blessing to the reading of his word. Be seated, please. So we have been spending the last couple of weeks in this passage looking at how the Lord prepares his servants. Now particularly, of course, David is in focus here. But uh, the principles that we see behind this preparation are things that uh, are rather universal in their application to God's people. And, of course, we've seen in many cases, in fact, in pretty much every point here, how the Lord followed the same kind of uh, principled preparation as he ministered to his son, the Lord Jesus, during his earthly ministry. So, again, there's a few that uh, might not uh, have gotten all this uh, over the last couple of weeks. So just a, a, a brief, brief review. Here's the setting. David has been anointed to be king and yet is still with the sheep, still doing his thing out there in the fields. And things, however, are not staying stagnant at the, uh, at the, in the home of Saul. It wasn't a palace yet. So there in his, in his uh, dwelling, Saul is getting... Um, more and more unstable. The Spirit of God has left him and it uh, just, you see Saul in his, in his uh, because of his sinfulness and his rebellion, uh, the, this, the Lord torments him, sends some judgment upon him. And in the, it's in that context that David arrives in a time of difficulty, a time of stress, uh, not uh, what any of us would think would be the ideal teaching conditions, and yet this is where uh, the Lord sends David. He waits until this, 
this uh, turn of events comes about and says, all right, now I'm ready to get your preparation going, get your training going. So he sends him to, uh, to Saul while he's in this condition. But there is order here, even though many things are uh, not very good. Uh, there is still some external order that within which David needs to work. He needs to learn those ropes so that he can uh, function well when it's his time to step into that position. And so part of this is not just the, the context that the Lord sets, you, sets him in and sets you and I in. Context that we may not appreciate. Contexts that are difficult. And yet he puts us there and then gets us serving in that context. And certainly we see that with with David. David had been serving in the wilderness. That's where uh, he was found. Um, The servant that uh, told uh, Saul about him apparently told him where he could find him. Saul gave a specific request, send me your son David who is with the sheep. So clearly some additional details were given to Saul. As, as David served out there in the wilderness, far from the court, probably wondering what was going on and if this anointing thing was ever going to uh, uh, bear fruit, to come to fruition, he is faithful in his work in the wilderness, as you and I must be. Uh, it's not all glory. It's not all sunshine. It's not all chandeliers and, and um, all of that you know, fancy stuff and the limelight and the glory and everything else. Sometimes you, you learn the best as you're slogging through the difficult, the, me, the tedious, and the menial. And certainly David proved himself there. He then, the Lord said, okay, now you're going to serve in the court. And so he came and there became the elevator music for Saul when Saul wasn't uh, um, in a, in a, proper frame of mind because of the oppression that was sent, the affliction that was sent by God uh, upon his heart. He had to learn. So uh, in that setting, um, he learned and demonstrated his, his worth and his value to Saul and to the rest of the court. And in that and David just didn't go in with the idea that, well, you know, I'm, I'm the anointed king, so people ought to pay attention to me. He learned how to work within the chain of command, something that he would put into practice very much so as he went on in his own service. So in this, in this context, difficult context, hardly ideal, the Lord placed his servant to serve. And the Lord has placed us in a context, um, though I think here within our body, um, there's not really a... Uh, listen, I hope it's a joy for everyone to come. It doesn't feel like a context of stress and strain and difficulty and, and judgment when you come. Uh, but certainly within the world in which we walk, The Lord has placed us in a time of history that is filled with much danger uh, to the souls of men, that's filled with lots of oppression and opposition and hatred for the cause of Christ. And yet the Lord has called us here to serve, and he is preparing us 
for that for whatever he has for us next we're in preparation now we're in training now we really should all pretty much have the idea that we are in boot camp for whatever the lord has for us as uh, whatever he's commissioned for us to do even those of us that are older you think well yeah i received my commission a long time ago well yes and uh, you've been doing those things but there, I hope you recognize that there's more yet to come. If nothing else, uh, perfect heavenly service before our King. So the Lord is preparing us for these things. But how does He do that within the context? And, okay, we've got context, we've got a job. The last thing I want to point at is verse 18. We're going to spend our time in verse 18 primarily. Let me read that verse to you again. One of the young men answered, Behold, I have seen a son of Jesse the Bethlehemite who is skillful in playing, a man of valor, a man of war, prudent in speech, and a man of good presence, and Yahweh is with him. Yahweh has prepared his servant through by putting him in a context that's challenged and has given him a variety of service opportunities to stretch him, and to prepare him for what's going on uh, and what is yet to come. But uh, this additional one, I'm calling it that he prepares his servants through experience. Experience. Now, this I find this rather fascinating because the details here are so sparse. This servant, you know, he... He kind of brings to mind, to my mind anyway, the ministry of John the Baptist. John, you know, pointed to Christ. Um, none of the servants volunteered. This guy didn't volunteer. He says, but I know a guy, and he's over here, and this is who he is. And this is the one you want. Um, the uh, backstory of how this servant knew about David is a complete mystery. It's not in here at all. We don't know what's going on. Perhaps we can content ourselves with the wisdom of Solomon here from Proverbs 18, where he said, a man's gift makes room for him and brings him before the great. Uh, whatever David was doing out there with the sheep had been noticed. The word got around. And this servant was aware of it. And it was David's experiences that were demonstrated in his service that the Lord used to help prepare him and equip him for the task of being king over his people. So let's look at what, what was David experienced in? He's a young man, probably 18, somewhere in there, 17, 18, 19. Now what kind of life experience do you have as a 17, 18, or 19-year-old? Well, David had perhaps more than most um, and there's some uh, interesting things here that I think we can find some common ground with. First of all, David was prepared by the Lord in having experience in comforting. In comforting. Do you think that's an important quality for a king? Or anybody in leadership? The Lord apparently thinks so. Well, what, what comfort did David, what experience did David have with comfort? Well, 
he had experience with the sheep to begin with. You ever think about that? You know, he, uh, he uh, learned what tender sympathy for the weak things of the world means. Uh, some of you have probably had sheep. I've had sheep. I'm thankful I don't have sheep right now. <laughs> but, um, yeah, sheep are pretty stupid. And they can really frustrate the life out of you. Um, but you can't go slap them around just because they're dumb. Just because they get themselves in hard places. You have to tenderly care for them. And David learned that as he, as he took care of those sheep out there. But then also, this experience that the Lord gave him to build on that transferable skill, who's he comforting now in his service? Saul. And presumably anybody else who's listening, but particularly Saul is the one who's in view here. Uh, the, uh, when it says here, this, uh, when, the, when, the, when the servant says, that, that David is skillful in playing. I love what the literal meaning of the Hebrew phrase is there because it almost sounds uh, like a modern way of putting something. Uh, what he says is, this son of Jesse the Bethlehemite knows the strings. He knows the strings. Like, yeah, that guy knows his stuff, Right? David knew the strings. How did he know that? Well, presumably because he'd been doing this out in the field with the sheep to calm them down. He'd been playing. He was expert on this thing. Um, you know, who knows whether people went out to hear him or, or whatever as he's out there playing and singing there in the fields. But with Saul, it, he's, he's learning to minister not just to the, the weak things positionally, like with the sheep, but the weak things personally. Saul is the king. He's got position, he's got power, he has uh, all the things of influence and all of that in the world anybody could want, and yet he needs comfort. And David does that without contempt. He could have contempt for his sheep from one perspective, but he could also very easily step into this experience and have contempt for Saul. Do you ever think about that? As he's sitting there playing away, the temptation to go, this guy is a loser and I cannot wait to take his place. I will do so much better than this. You get no inkling that David does that. He's there to bring comfort to an elder, comfort to one who is his master with honor. That's an experience that he is going to struggle to maintain from time to time in the future, but most of the time he does it pretty well. So this experience is, is of comforting is an amazing experience that the Lord uses. Not the normal thing that you might think, and yet, for when, if we think about our Lord Jesus Christ, what sort of experience did he exercise during his earthly ministry? Did he not comfort 
those who came to him. Absolutely he did, even to the point of washing their feet humbly before, uh, before them, comforting, weeping over the lost. Our Savior lived out that experience as well. How much more um, should we, or maybe not how much more, but should we not also exercise uh, that comfort and not just think we're here to help everybody. We're not just here to, uh, in terms of to make ourselves look good and advance ourselves, but we're actually here to serve others and to be a comfort to others. No strings attached. As I was preparing this, the a quotation that I've thought of often through the years came to mind. It's from a funeral sermon of St. Augustine in which he says, uh, you weep for the body from which the soul has departed. How much more should you weep for the soul from which God has departed? What is our, what is our mindset toward others? As the Lord has placed us here in the body, we're not just here for self-advancement. And I mean that even in the best sense of that, in terms of you know, wanting to grow in grace and know our Lord more and all of that. We're here to minister to others, to get out of our own, get out of our own heads and our own focus and look around at the needs of one another and what can we do either to meet a, a perceived need or simply the needs of grace and fellowship and kindness and showing the love of Christ, whether it's uh, through service or a meal or prayer or whatever it is in one another's lives. This is part of the experience that the Lord uses to prepare us for his service in greater things yet to come. Certainly he does that with David. But now here's something else uh, that we read uh, as the servant started off, and I kind of like this. I mean, remember we mentioned last time that Saul seems to be completely focused on just, all right, send me somebody who can play. That sounds great. Basically, I just need the human equivalent of a boombox, and uh, I'll be good. I really dated myself with that comment. But uh, David wasn't just there to, you know, be a wallflower decoration there. Part of the experience that David had and would grow in as the Lord gave him more and more opportunities for experience was experience in combat. Now, the, uh, the, the servant here says, okay, yeah, it's almost like the first part about being skillful in playing or knowing the strings is to the servant's mind, it's almost like, yeah, yeah, he's that, but wow, I mean, it's so much more than that. It's kind of the way it, but yes, he's skillful in playing. He is, and this, and this, and this, and this. So the next one is, uh, that we read there in verse 18, a man of valor and a man of war. Valor has the idea of being vigorous. It can mean someone who's a champion, which uh, is in the next chapter, is going to be a significant term. And then a man of war, this word is, it simply means it's a, he's a fighter. Now, stop for just a minute and think 
If you're the servant and Saul has just said, I need somebody who can play, go find me somebody. And your recommendation is, yeah, he can play, but man, this guy is a fighter. What does fighting have to do with comforting someone who's under the affliction of, a, of an oppressive spirit ordained by God to punish you? What does it have to do with anything? I'm not really sure what the servant was thinking when he said that. And yet, it's, it's almost like it spills out of him. This guy was really well aware of David and was clearly impressed by what he knew of him. Whether it was a personal acquaintance or whether it was um, just so, David's reputation was so well known that, that he just happened to know about it. In any case, he, he definitely thought Saul needed to understand that David wasn't, you know, just somebody who only, you know, could play well, but wasn't really worth being around otherwise. No, he's a man of valor. He's a man of war. Now, in chapter 17, as, as David goes uh, to meet his brothers out there where Goliath is and the Philistines are out there, uh, taunting and mocking and blaspheming the God of Israel and and uh, basically humiliating Israel. Uh, David is clearly, we see in that narrative, he's unfamiliar with armor. Right? Uh, he has no actual experience in formal combat. So for this servant to say that David is a man of valor and a man of war is a rather remarkable thing. What in the world is he referring to? Well, I think it's likely that the incidents of David's killing the lion and killing the bear with his bare hands had become known. Now, sometimes the Lord calls us into things that we've never done before. Anybody had that experience? How do you feel about that when the Lord's called you into something you've never done before? You're going into uncharted territory. You're not sure you can do it. But I, you know, sometimes when the Lord calls us to things that are a little frightening, um, it, it would do us well to take a deep breath and think for a minute how the Lord has been preparing us. What other experiences that we have that that's not the same opportunity, not the same activity, but in other things where the Lord has been faithful to you in combating something, standing up to something, for something, so that when he calls you to the next thing, you're ready to take those skills and the confidence that you have in God, which David clearly had. Try not to get too much into chapter 17 yet. That's coming. But clearly he had a lot of confidence in God's ability to, to deliver him because he had seen what God had done in one circumstance and experience, and now coming into the next experience, yep, orders of magnitude greater, more difficult, whatever, but he went into it confident because of who his God was and what, how God had been with him in those prior experiences. So he was a, he was a man of valor. He was a, a fighter. Again, let's, let's fast forward and think about our Savior, our true King. 
whom the Lord our Father also prepared during his earthly ministry. Think of the times of his earthly ministry where he defeated demonic beings, where he defeated disease, where he showed his mastery over the forces of nature and even over death itself. Not only, I'm not just thinking of his death, but I'm thinking about as his raising up Lazarus from the dead, for example, and others. As Paul reminds us that Christ both died, rose, and revived, that he might be Lord both of the dead and of the living. He is our King of Kings. But the, he was proven in his earthly ministry by his perfect, active, and passive obedience in every respect. So that on the cross, his greatest battle, he was victorious. And even followed the command of his father to take up his life again and rise again from the dead. This is our king. And God has prepared him. The Lord prepares us. Most of us, I expect that most of us would not. Uh, if if, if uh, I went around to you and I said, describe yourself to me. Tell me about yourself. I don't think that too many of you would go, well, I'm a warrior. I'm full of valor. I'm a mighty fighter. really can't see any of you telling me that. Not that you aren't those things. But I can't see you telling me that. Because most of us, we tend to think, well, I haven't done anything great. I haven't really been done, you know, I've just kind of lived my life and so on. And yet every day you and I battle sin. We battle the world around us and so as not to compromise with it and, and uh, cave to the pressures of the world around us. That may seem rather mundane and not very important, but those are part of the experiences that the Lord brings into our lives to prepare us for the next thing. So the Lord prepares us through that uh, experience of, of combat in whatever in whatever um, um, theater of action uh, there it might be. David is also described here in this verse as um, a man who is prudent in speech. Now this one seems a little more appropriate for the court, for David's, for what he's being called to do. Even though it does seem like David's not really being called to talk a lot. He's just called to play. But uh, the servant commends David's experience in communication. Now, the, uh, the prudent in speech has the idea of being understanding in speech. It seems like eloquence or intelligence in his communication is the idea. And if, if you've thought about it, up till now, we have not heard one word from David. Haven't heard a thing. So we're taking the servant's word for it. <laughs> and Saul is taking the servant's word for it. But as you look on through David's life, um, and he's going to start talking in the next chapter. For a, a man as young as he was, you look at the maturity of his speech, you look at the, the, the thoughtfulness and the care, the tact, the respect, the courage, all of those things. David clearly did not waste his time out in the fields 
on dribble. He thought about the Lord. He thought about life. He thought carefully about what was going on around him. And when he had opportunity to speak, he put that into action and was able to speak words that were actually helpful. And, of course, you know we've done quite a bit in the Psalms already today. We do every week. You look at the Psalms uh, and the eloquence that is there, the understanding that is there, are indicative of a heart that has experience in communicating what God wants him to communicate and do so well. You know, um, it's interesting. David was out there talk, out there with the sheep, taking care of the sheep. Not really sure who else David had been talking to to uh, gain a reputation as being someone who was eloquent. But that indeed was his reputation. Um, he may very well have talked to those sheep. I know when I had my sheep, I would have some conversations with them. They weren't eloquent conversations. Um, I think it's probably more than that. Some, somewhere, sometime, David has had interaction with others uh, enough that in his conversation he's known as, I would expect something along the lines of, a young man who is wise beyond his years in the way that he communicates. Our Lord and Savior was also prepared in his earthly ministry through a great deal of communication. I thought of his speaking with authority, not as the scribes and Pharisees. I thought of his uncanny ability to turn every single argument, every single trap around uh, to the detriment of his opponents. To know, talk about a word fitly spoken, uh, our Savior epitomized that during his earthly ministry. And now, think of his communication, sitting at the right hand of God, interceding for us. Our Lord God prepares us by giving us opportunities to communicate. <laughs> now, I'm not going to make any eye contact with anybody when I make this statement. Some of you are quieter than others. Okay. And don't really like to talk much. But even those of you who are in that category, um, as opposed to some of the rest of us, <laughs> um, even there we still communicate. We communicate by the way that we live our lives for sure, but we do communicate verbally, do we not? In the circle in which we feel comfortable. Um, I, there's a couple of, there's a couple, more than a couple, there's a few kids in here that uh, are, are relatively quiet when some of us greet them. Don't say much. But I have observed that when they are amongst their family and where they're comfortable, they're little chatterboxes. Right? You know, so we all have our opportunities of experiencing communication. You know, let the words of our mouth and the meditation of our heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord. That should be our prayer. Whether we speak a lot or we speak a little, we have opportunity to use that experience to talk about more than the weather. 
we have the opportunity by through our, the experiences and the opportunities that the Lord gives us to speak into the lives of others. Words of encouragement, words of exhortation, words of blessing, words of praise. And we have that experience. I've, I've been teaching evangelism for decades in the seminary. And the number one reason that people give for not witnessing about the Lord Jesus Christ is, I don't know what to say. Second one would be, I'm afraid people will reject me. But mostly it's, I don't know what to say. Well, as with most things, when you're, in, when you're under stress, that's not the best time necessarily to figure out what you're going to do. Right? The time to figure out what you're going to do and how you're going to approach it is when there's no stress. So take advantage of the opportunities that you have to communicate now among those whom you're comfortable to learn how to talk about Jesus. So that when you're with the lost, you're not fumbling around for words going, well, I don't know what to say about it. It should be a matter of, this is, you've got the experience talk about Christ, what He's done, what He's done for you, to be able to converse one with the other about the, the blessing of salvation that God has given to you, and what God has done in your life. So when it comes time to address those who need Christ, you know what to say. This is how the Lord prepares us. He gives us these experiences here so that we can be light in the world around us. Now, uh, David also is, is uh, um, commended by this servant as a person who is a man of good presence. And I'm calling this uh, experience in conduct. I want to jump back up to uh, uh, for uh, 12, verse 12. Um, so David is sent for, is brought in. He was... Ruddy, he had beautiful eyes, he was handsome. Remember that word handsome is not necessarily speaking of outward appearance, it's speaking of his inner uh, uh, just the presence that he has. That there's something different about him. Uh, the word presence here, a man of good presence, the word means dignity. It may seem a little bit odd to describe a shepherd as a person who is dignified, because usually the connotations that we have about about uh, uh, dignity is we it's it's like someone who's in an elevated position, who's dressed really well, whose manners are perfect, um, who uh, doesn't let anything ruffle them or whatever. With a shepherd, we think of someone who's just kind of out there, you know dirty, homespun, whatever else, but not um, someone who really knows how to get around or do much of anything. But David is described as a person of dignity. Now, how did David show dignity? We're not told anything about him except that he, was his, that he had it. Something about the way that he conducted himself, even as a shepherd, as he has dealing with other shepherds. Maybe there was buying and selling, and he was involved in the 
in the in the transaction somehow and conducted himself with with honor and with dignity and with a sense of of um, an understanding so that he didn't get taken advantage of he did well for his family he did well for his father's business with the sheep whatever it was david demonstrated dignity in what he did now do you think that if he went into the court as the lord adds to his experiences now it gives him the opportunity to go in and play music do you think david just kind of shuffled in there you know wiping his nose and all filthy hey king I think David probably walked into that court to take on a menial task with a sense of decorum, knowing what was proper. He'd learned through his prior experiences what was proper there. He transferred that skill set into the court. And he had that opportunity to further be prepared to, to take up the dignified office of a king. I was thinking about our Savior. You could, we could go through any number of examples from the Gospels about how our Savior responded and conducted himself uh, among the people to see his dignity. But perhaps the greatest example that I could think of was how he responded or didn't respond in the presence of Pontius Pilate. Just think about that. As our Savior stood before him, silent for the most part. And when he did speak, remarkably, here is it's kind of the same thing with David looking at Saul, who's corrupt and he's, he's reprobate, he's rebellion, he's in rebellion. Here's Jesus, who is the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the, the Son of God, standing before a corrupt Roman leader. And he responds to him in quietness of spirit and dignity. He does not... The closest he comes to chastising Pontius Pilate, and it's really not a chastisement, it's just, you know, if I... I am a king, you've said that, but uh, if my kingdom were of this world, um, I'd be delivered. There was no bravado, there was no, you're, you, you know, you blah, 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 nothing of that. He treated Pontius Pilate with honor. Our Savior, raised as a carpenter's son, knew decorum. He understood how things were supposed to work. And he operated with incredible dignity. How dignified should you and I be in the presence of the world around us? That's not to say that we can't ever have fun and enjoy things and even be a little silly from time to time in places where it's appropriate. But there is a time and a place for everything under the sun, is there not? Did not Solomon speak to that? We live in a society that just wants to play all the time. Doesn't want to pay attention to what's happening in the world around us. Just wants to go do their fishing or go do their, 
I hope I don't step on anybody's toes here. Um, fishing or hunting or video games or eating or vacationing or traveling or freaking on old cars. Rather than paying attention to what's really important. It's not that those things don't have their place. But we live in a society that wants to put pleasure on the pedestal and put everything else aside. There's a book that my mom has. I can't remember who wrote it. But uh, it's called Amusing Ourselves to Death. We, We don't really value, as a society, dignity. We don't care how we look. We don't care who we're talking to. We come in any old way. It doesn't matter. We act any old way. We just expect everybody to just put up with us because this is the way we want to be. And um, we take that just as I am principle and, and make it our right to be slobs if we want to in the presence of God in the world. But it's not. We're called upon to be dignified in the presence of the world so as not to cause any reproach upon the name of our blessed Savior who is the epitome of dignity and honor. David was learning that with this experience, and the Lord gives us opportunities to learn decorum and dignity within our, our sphere here, in our families, in our church, so that when we engage our society, we do so in a way that lends credibility to the testimony of the gospel that we have before the world. Finally, and really the most important, and I think because of the way the Hebrew mind works, I think it's the most important in the servant's mind as well, that the most important thing is often said last. And so here, uh, the last one is, is that the Lord is with him. Yahweh is with him. David has experience in communion, and it's particularly communion with Yahweh. You might remember in the prior chapter that when David was anointed, it says there that the Spirit of God rushed upon him. And it seems apparent from this servant's statement that when the Spirit rushed upon him, it produced some noticeable results. There was a real difference about him because of the Spirit of God being with him. Then David's uh, David was certainly a man who could rejoice and be filled with, uh, with happiness. But he was serious about the things of God. He communed with God. It was a characteristic of his life. As I was thinking about our Lord Jesus Christ, my thoughts were turned to John chapter 17, where Jesus declares more than once in that high priestly prayer, I and my Father are one. The Father and I are one. Father, help my disciples to be one, even as you and I are one. Our Lord and Savior communed with his Father throughout his earthly ministry, really losing nothing, uh, uh, not skipping a beat from the eternity past fellowship that he'd had with the Father. That fellowship continued on. Even to the cross, where there was a time of separation, yet remember what the last words that he said were. Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. The communion was still there. The communion was 
uh, was restored because Jesus had finished the work. When he needed it the most, it was there, but he had lived an entire life of communion with his Father. What is the nature of our communion with God? Are we really dependent upon Him, seeking Him? Or are you and I um, happy to use Him as a crutch whenever we feel we need Him, but the rest of the time we're, we're, on our, we're good on our own? Thank you very much. Interesting what we get out of this passage when we think about how the Lord pre- was preparing David to assume the throne. Here we see in in a nutshell in this verse characteristics of a man after God's own heart. Sympathetic. A heroic fighter. Eloquent. Dignified. Filled with the Spirit. We're going to be seeing evidence of these. We're looking for these qualities as we go through our our tour of the life of David this year. We'll have occasion to call this list to mind as evidence. Uh, when we see, uh, uh, We'll see activities that are evidence that these things were true of him, that the servant wasn't just, you know, um, giving out uh, the, uh, the publicity statement. This was really true. These things are really true of David. It's a wonder that with this description, I don't know if anything went off in Saul's mind or not. It doesn't seem to have. It's a wonder that Saul didn't immediately recognize that description of David as the man who was better than him that Samuel had talked about in chapter 13. At this point, Saul was too full of himself to see anything else. He couldn't see the king. I pray, God, that uh, we will not be so full of ourselves uh, that we can't see the king either. Well, David started his life out as a, his his life of public service out as a court musician. But the Lord's anointing upon him was for a much higher office, wasn't it? It appears that David came and went for a while between his home and the court. Verses 21 and 22 seem to suggests that he entered his service but uh, uh, verse 22 where Saul sends to Jesse saying let David remain in my service seems to say, which is probably a little bit later um, in the actual sequence of events but this would eventually take place it does seem that David went back and forth for a while certainly uh, he was home during the, the Goliath situation and had and returned Um, We'll talk more about that when we get there. David must have long wondered while watching the sheep and playing the lyre out there in the fields, if, uh, or even in the playing the lyre in the court, if the anointing had been some kind of mistake. But he was being prepared for greater things. Verse 21 suggests that he didn't immediately become an armor bearer. That wouldn't happen until after the Goliath event. But it would eventually take place. And that's a a step up, right? Closer to the the throne. In Yahweh's wisdom, David 
was being trained in the midst of the court. He's learning the ropes of the monarchy without the opposition that would come uh, down the road. He found favor with Saul, just as Christ would as he grew. I thought of Luke chapter 2, verse 42, that as Jesus grew, he found favor with God and man. Yahweh knows how to prepare his servants. He knows how to prepare you. And sometimes that timing is not necessarily what we would think. But the Lord gives us uh, wisdom and patience to follow his plan. Our Lord Jesus, remember he'd been commissioned through his baptism to his priestly office. He would tell his mother not long afterwards at Cana that his time was not yet come to be revealed. He knew he was still being prepared. At least to demonstrate that all things in the scriptures had been fulfilled. So that when he did his ultimate uh, task, it would be known that it really was truly God himself who was involved. It was a long road to the cross. A long road to the empty tomb. So dear child of God, do not be impatient as the Lord prepares you through all the trials and victories of life. Live a life that is after God's own heart and trust in his preparation. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for your patience with us. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for preparing us. Lord, help us to humble ourselves before you to not be impatient, not run ahead of you. But Lord, waiting upon you, fill our eyes with you and our hearts with joy as we consider the great inheritance that you have for us and the, all of the steps in between of calling and service by which we may glorify you. Help us, Lord, in these things. 